The following message was delivered at the 2022 Covenant Conference hosted by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. The conference was held on March 17th to 19th in Louisville, Kentucky, and the conference theme was, I Will Build My Church, Taking Up the Urgent Task of Missions and Church Planting. We've heard the word read. Let's now go to the Lord in prayer once again. Our Lord, we come to you once again, pleading with you to reveal more of yourself to us. That as we consider what you have done, even in days gone by, that the one speaking would decrease in our eyes and our Lord Jesus would increase and fill all our vision. Enable us in this hour to see Jesus, to see the mighty hand of the Lord at work, and in seeing you, Lord, cause us to love you all the more and to be strengthened in heart to do the work that you've commanded us to do. And may we give you all the glory. Amen. Well, in this session, I've been tasked with conveying to you some of the lessons that the Lord has taught me in and through my experiences with church planting. Now, as Pastor Sam said in his message yesterday, uh, these are admittedly limited lessons from my own experience. But beloved, this is where I want us to remember that the Word of God is living and active. And the Word of the living God touches down into the lives of God's people, into the depths of our souls, and it's the Lord's sovereign word that interprets for us our experience, our experiences in God's world that's under his sovereign control. So even as I express these experiences, I'm trying to give them to you through the lens of scripture, but I also call you to be Berean and recognize these are just the experiences of one man in that sense. So recognize their limitations. It's my desire then to give testimony to what I have seen the Lord do. See him do in me, through me, and yes, most of all, in spite of me. Seen through the lens of his word. It's my prayer that as you hear about these experiences with church planting that the Lord has brought me through, that they will serve as a kind of concrete illustration of some of the biblical principles that you've already heard throughout this conference. But before we consider some of these experiences, I wanted to remind us first, and perhaps of the most important lesson of all, and that's from what we just read or heard from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The most important lesson of all is this, that Christ is the one who is building his church. You have that passage open again, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You recall that the Christians in Corinth had fallen into worldly thinking. They're concerned about worldly things with their leaders. I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Christ. What are they doing? They're focusing on the externals, such as the manner of the presentation or the rhetorical skill of the speaker. And they're missing the substance of what is said, which is none other than Christ himself. 
Jealousy has crept in, not by the leaders so much as by the factions that had formed. They're causing division in Christ's body. So how does Paul respond to this? He responds by giving perspective on how to view leaders in Christ's church. How to view the church. And he does this with analogies. The first analogy that he gives is the analogy of the farmer's field, an agricultural metaphor. And the first thing to note from verse 5 is this. It's not as important who these leaders are as it is what they are. You notice how he says it. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? And the answer is that they are servants of the Lord. Servants. Assigned to their task by the Lord of the universe, by the head of the church. Yes, and they have different tasks. One plants, one waters. But both are servants of the one Lord. And the Lord, you notice in verse 8, the Lord is the one who assesses their work, not the church in Corinth. He's the one who gives the wages according to the labor of his servants. And so they are servants of the Lord. But the second thing to notice is what he says in verse 6, that it's God who gives the growth. Therefore, God is everything and his servants are nothing in comparison. That's what it says there in verse 7. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He says later in verse 21, so let no one boast in men. Our boast is in the God-man, Jesus Christ. God is the one who ultimately plants. God is the one who establishes churches. He is the one who continues to make the church grow so that all the glory goes to him. But the utterly astounding thing is that the Lord has chosen to use the means of his servants. Servants that he calls, servants that he equips, servants that he qualifies to do the work that he calls them to do, to be instruments in his hand that he uses to build his church. So in this passage in verses 10 to 17, you see what he does. Paul shifts the metaphor from the agricultural now to the architectural, not a field, but now shifting to the building, as he says at the end of verse 9. And with this metaphor, he shows what the work of faithful servants looks like. Verses 10 and 11. It's the picture of the wise church planter who faithfully lays the only foundation that can be laid in the church of Christ, which is Jesus Christ himself. Through the preaching of the gospel of Christ, through the person and work of Christ being proclaimed, the crucified and risen Savior, that is foolishness to Greeks, that is a scandal to the Jews, but is the power and wisdom of God. And then in verses 12 to 15, 
What do you see? You see the picture of wise pastors who faithfully build upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. And you notice the kinds of materials that one ought to use. It's the materials of gold, silver, precious stone, not the wood, hay, and straw. What is it that will withstand the fire and be refined? It's the gold, the silver, the precious stones. Those are the materials that were used in the temple. The material that the wise pastor uses is the clear teaching of the Word of God, adorned by a Christ-like life that shines through cracked clay pots. Anything else? Is man's opinions, worldly entertainments, personal charisma, a hypocritical life? That's the wood, hay, and straw that will be burned up at the judgment. But the church that perseveres, that weathers the storms and the trials, is the church that's built upon the rock of Jesus Christ, that's nourished by his word. And then in verses 16 and 17, you have uh, this amazing statement. You, plural, are God's temple. The church of Jesus Christ is not a physical building where you meet, but it is the people of God. Jesus is David, great David's greater son, the temple builder, and he is the one who is building his church Every local church is a part of God's great building built by the master builder, Jesus Christ himself. He's the one who's building his church out of living stones cut out by him. And he, the temple, his temple is the place where God's spirit dwells. So it's Christ that is building his church, and it is one of the greatest joys of my life to be given the privilege to see his hand at work building, planting his churches. For if you were to ask me in one sense, what is church planting? My answer is this. It's the privilege of having a front row seat and seeing Christ building his church. Seeing him expand his kingdom, the borders of his kingdom going further as other hearts are claimed from the kingdom of darkness and added to the kingdom of the beloved son. Another way that I've described church planning is by an analogy. And our role as servants of Christ is to have the joy and privilege of doing the work of a midwife. As Christ brings new churches to birth. And in that sense, you could think of how Christ births a new local church kind of in, in three stages, not quite trimesters, but three stages. And to follow out the analogy, first there's conception. Okay, conception that, that begins through this prayerful planning and preparation. And then there's development in the womb where there's this prayerful planting and forming of this emerging body. And then there's this giving birth, the day when the church prayerfully is constituted with members and officers and continues then to grow and mature. 
And in the providence of God, I've had the privilege of serving Christ as a midwife, as it were, in all three of these stages, in some form or another, in different capacities and roles with five different church plants. So let me now bear witness to what I have seen Christ do in birthing these five local churches. Can I just trace through a bit about each one, seeking to highlight some of the lessons along the way? In fact, really what I'll do is say some of the same lessons that you heard from Pastor Sam and from Brother Washer in that sense, but trying to flesh it out in that sense from my own experience. So first was Christ bringing to birth Grace Baptist Church in Commerce, Georgia, okay? But before I can speak to you about my involvement in this work of Christ, I must first speak of Christ's work in making me one of his servants. A little bit about God's work in my life. In the providence of God, I was born in Decatur, Georgia, into a family that faithfully attended church, Southern Baptist churches, a Christian Missionary Alliance church. But I must confess, I don't remember hearing the gospel in those churches. Now, that does not mean that it was never preached. Well, what it does mean is I was dead in my sins and did not have ears to hear. I was dead in my transgressions, living to make a name for myself, lost in the darkness of my own alienation and exile from God. But when I was 15 years old, the God of the Exodus came to me, and he delivered me. My father took me to this week-long seminar called the Seminar on Basic Life Principles, and the speaker there explained the gospel. The Spirit of God came and gave me new life. The Lord Jesus granted me repentance as I saw at least a measure of my sin. He granted me faith to embrace him as my only Savior and substitute as my Lord, to know that Jesus not only died on the cross, but he died for me. That he rose for me. Gave me a new heart that hungered and thirsted for righteousness, that wanted to understand and read his word. And to this day, I cannot help but be amazed and astounded of the love of Christ to me to save a wretch and a worm and a sinner that I am. So the Lord worked in my heart. Right away, you have a desire to tell everyone around you about this Savior. And so I did, as best I could, with what little I knew, telling people about Christ. In fact, I desired to serve the Lord. I didn't know what that meant or what, I, what that looked like in most of the churches I've been in. I thought that meant you had to become a pastor or missionary. <laughs> so after my conversion, I joined an, an Arminian Southern Baptist church. Sadly, I wasn't actually examined before joining. I just walked down to the front and became a member. They didn't ask me if I'd been baptized as a believer. I had been baptized a few years earlier after going through what in Georgia we called Halloween judgment houses where they scare you to death and then tell you to raise your hand and you're saved. I got baptized, but I wasn't a believer. But I was then a member of this Southern Baptist Church. And 
I remember I even went to my pastor and I said that I think I have this desire to serve the Lord in the ministry or in missions. This is as a 15-year-old. Sadly, he gave me no guidance. This desire was growing, and even in my senior year of high school, I, I learned, this is a public high school, that you could do kind of this early work release and do an internship with, with a profession that you're maybe interested in. And so I asked my youth pastor, can I, can I do this internship with you? And I did. I did this work release. And uh, <laughs> what did he teach me? Well, this is how you set up the games for Wednesday night. He had me teach one 10-minute Bible study the whole semester and gave me no real guidance. But then, in God's kind providence in 1997, I went to Furman University, named after Richard Furman, which you've heard about. And uh, through a friend, I was brought to Grace Baptist Church of Taylor, South Carolina, my second week at university a Reformed Baptist church, and so for the first time in my life, I heard expository preaching. To this day, I remember the sermons. In the morning, it was John 13, in the evening, it was 1 Thessalonians 1. First time I ever heard expository preaching, and my heart leapt. Where has this been? They, they give visitors uh, to come to that church the first time, at least at that time, a packet of books. And one of the books was... Today's Gospel, Authentic or Synthetic, by Walt Chantry. And I read it that afternoon, and it changed my life forever. I didn't understand everything at that point. I had this wrestling with the doctrines of grace over the next six months, but the Lord brought me to a place to begin to grasp the Reformed faith in the Scriptures, the centrality of the glory of God the sovereignty of God, particularly in salvation, to realize God's decree of election, which means God has a people that he will definitely save. And also the reality that God uses means. He uses second causes and the necessity of gospel proclamation. It was a busy six months. The Lord worked in my heart. Furthermore, I spoke with the elders there about my desire for ministry, and of course, that led them to teaching me, first and foremost, about being a faithful church member, and also asking, have you been baptized as a believer? Hmm. No, I don't think I have. <laughs> and so, by God's grace, I was, and became a member of that church. Furthermore, they invited me to what they called, the elders, uh, Spurgeon's Club. It's a monthly meeting for men who express an aspiration to the ministry. And what did we do? Uh, the pastors had laid out a two-year curriculum where we met monthly. We got there. I remember the first meeting. I was handed this thing called a catechism. It's like, what is that? And told to memorize three questions a month or, or so over the next Two years, Baptist Catechism. I was given these things called cassette tapes. You ever heard of those? Preachers and Preaching Lectures by Lloyd-Jones. I'm an 18-year-old. Never heard of this man. Sermons by Walt Chantry, who I'd not heard of before. Jeff Thomas, uh, others. 
We were given books, articles to read from the Banner of Truth magazine, books like The Sovereignty of God by A.W. Pink. And we had a, a different topic each month that we would come together and discuss. And the very first month, the topic was this, what is a call to the ministry? We had to read John MacArthur's article on that in his book on pastoral ministry. And he spoke of this thing called not only the internal call, but the external call where the church must recognize Christ's work in you to fit you and to equip you. And I remember after reading that going, I'm not so sure I want to go into the ministry. But here's the lesson. The lesson is this that Christ is the one who calls and equips a man with the necessary gifts and graces to serve in the ministry or as a church planter. But remember, he uses means to do this. And the means, the primary means, is the faithful ministry of a local church and her elders. It's primarily the local church's responsibility to mentor, to train, to entrust the gospel to faithful men who can entrust it to others also. And the church there in Greenville, South Carolina, took that responsibility seriously. I praise God for that. So it's while I was a member of this church that I had the joy of participating in the work of planting Grace Baptist Church of Commerce, Georgia, with the support of Heritage Baptist Church in Fayetteville, Georgia. See, there was a man who had graduated from the Master's Seminary, but had come to Reformed Baptist and Covenantal Convictions, he was from Georgia. He knew families there that desired a Reformed Baptist church plant, and he had come to the church there in South Carolina. He became a member. His gifts were recognized. He was ordained, and then the church sent him to Commerce, Georgia. And this work was the work of the whole church. There was the, the brother, the man who was sent, but there was also the church that supported First, by prayer, while he was with us, as he was sent, and after. And as they began, and they began to meet Sunday after Sunday for worship in the church, one or two families were committed to go down every week for the two years. Every week, going down and helping in whatever way it could be. Maybe it was someone in the church who could play the piano, someone who could help lead the worship, someone that could help teach the youth, and I had the joy of going down and helping in these ways as a church member. And I would go down also on other weekends at times with others in the church, and we would canvas the neighborhoods, we would evangelize. This was a tough road. It was actually many years, but in time, the Lord brought that church plant to birth. And I remember the day that it constituted and we had that constituting service and the joy of what Christ had done in birthing this new church. The main lesson I learned then was this, that Christ gave his commission to his church. And everyone has a part to play in the work, goers and senders, supporters, according to the various gifts and graces that Christ supplies. So that was the first church. Second one, Christ's bringing to birth Crosspoint Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Now it's called Redeemer Community Church in Asheville, North Carolina. After graduating from university, I desired to stay in Greenville. Why? Because I wanted to stay at the church. 
And the Lord provided work for me, an answer to prayer, first in construction work, which was good for me, and then as a computer programmer. And I continued just to serve in the church, seeking to be, by God's grace, a faithful church member. The elders continued to mentor me, and I desired further training. And so they got these things called VHS tapes. You ever heard of those? You put them in this thing called a VCR, and this little picture shows up. And I, I watched these classes from the Reformed Baptist School of Theology in Grand Rapids, a guy named Sam Waldron, um, Greg Nichols, Mark Chansky. So the Lord was continuing to grow me. After two years of this, of working and continuing to grow, the elders actually encouraged me to attend seminary full-time. At that time, this seminary didn't exist. And so I explored various seminaries. And I decided to go to Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. There was a number of reasons, but the main reason was this. It was 10 minutes from the church there in Greenville. And it was more important to me to be in a church with pastors who knew me and were mentoring me than the seminary. Now, the seminary was great. But it was being in the church, a faithful church. In my first year, I was the only Baptist. That's why I got the nickname John the Baptist. And they were very kind to me strenuously in every class trying to convince me to be a Presbyterian, but it's not biblical. <laughs> and in that first year of seminary, I earnestly prayed, Lord, would you send me another Baptist, another Baptist student, just a brother in that way to be with me through this journey? And the Lord answered my prayers. In my second year, he sent a brother named Chris Powell. Chris Powell is from Toronto, Canada, and his father, Lee Powell, was converted under the ministry of Lloyd-Jones, then married a Canadian and moved to Toronto and planted Covenant Baptist Church in Toronto. And Chris came, and of course, instantly we became fast and best of friends. And two months after he came, I learned in the association that we were a part of that there was this two-day school of church planting occurring in Georgia. This was October of 2004. So I said, Chris, we've got to go. So we got in the car and said to our wives, we love you. We'll be back. <laughs> and we went down together. And there were seven sessions and a Q&A. And I actually still have the notes. The topics included this training men for the ministry, the theology of church planting, legal and financial matters in church planting, confessional matters in church planting, church relations in church planting, practical matters in church planting. And what I still remember most is Jim Renahan's session on a theology of church planting, where he said, this is the definition of church planting, bringing to birth by the work of God's spirit, worshiping congregations. And then he took us through the book of Ephesians and gave us six glorious principles 
Here they are. The doctrine of God's plan and purpose from Ephesians 3, 1 to 13. The priority of God's glory, Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. The reality of the Bible's history, especially as it's centered on Christ, Ephesians 4, 1 to 10. The reality of the sovereignty of God's grace, Ephesians 2. The reality of the immediate purpose of God, Ephesians 4, 11 and following. And the reality of the ultimate goal of God's purpose, which is to glorify himself in his son, Ephesians 1, 3 to 14. The Lord was with us in those meetings. He blessed that time. And on the drive back to Greenville, Chris and I spoke of how our hearts burned within us. Oh, Lord, that you would bring more faithful churches to birth. And we prayed in the car. We talked. What can we do? Here we are, young seminary students, weak, feeble, and yes, very immature in so many ways. But this we knew, we have a big God and a glorious Savior. We were thinking even of, of the passage, you remember with Jonathan and his armor bearer, for Samuel 14, verse 6, Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. So we prayed, we thought, we planned. We even had this whiteboard picture at one point of the gospel going throughout the whole world. I think Chris still has that picture somewhere. And we recognized that there was a family coming to our church in Greenville, South Carolina, all the way from Asheville, North Carolina. So we approached the elders and we approached this family, asking them to pray about the possibility of beginning a Bible study in their home, doing evangelism, and just seeing what the Lord might do. So about a year later, fall 2005, after praying, thinking, planning, getting counsel, the elders gave their blessing to us and the church prayed with us and for us. And Chris and I began leading a Bible study in that family's home. And we also would go up different times to evangelize in Asheville. Remember, we would go to parks and we would set up tables with gospel literature. And the best place to do it was in front of the bathroom because that's where everyone goes. Of course, we had ups and downs. At one point, we had 40 people coming to this Bible study. We were amazed at what the Lord was doing. And so a year later in the fall of 2006, we prayerfully moved to having a worship service on Sunday nights. But when you moved to being more committed, it went down from 40 to about 20. But we pressed on. Now, in the midst of that work, I graduated from seminary at Greenville in 2007, and I was called to be a pastoral assistant at the Grace Baptist Church in Carlisle, the very church that Walt Chantry pastored for so many years. Chris continued his final year of seminary doing the work there in Asheville, but then he graduated in 2008, and he was called back to the church there in Toronto. But the Lord is the one who built his church. And the Lord provided in, in, in mysterious ways and mysterious providences different men to continue to do that work. And yes, there were many struggles over many years, but I was given the joy and the privilege to come in 2011 to preach at the constituting service of that church. 
And what did I preach from? I preached from Ephesians. That glorious picture, the glory of God and Christ in planting churches. And here's the lesson. You've heard this already. It's not enough to have sound theology in our heads. We must have sound theology in our heads, but we must also have it worked out and believe it in our hearts and work it out with our hands. We must obey, we must observe all that Christ has commanded. Even if we don't have everything figured out, we must obey with all of our weakness, with all of our fears, with all of our foibles, with all of our failures, because our faith is not in ourselves, but in God, in Christ. He's the one who plants by his power, and he's the one who sustains his churches. That's the second church. Third, Christ bringing to birth Grace Reformed Baptist Church in Camp Hill, Pennsylvania. So when I arrived in Carlisle, Pennsylvania in 2007, then the, what, the main pastor who mentored me was Pastor David Campbell. And one of the first questions he asked is, by the Lord's grace, what do you hope to see occur in your time here? Because it was a three-year pastoral internship. And there were two things that I said. So the first is, I, I would love if the Lord would be pleased to see an outreach at Dickinson College again by this church. Because there hadn't been for some time, and in fact, Walt Chantry actually went to Dickinson College and then came to the church, and there was an outreach at Dickinson many years before. And so that's what I prayed and asked and said. The other was that the Lord would be pleased to plant another church from the church in Carlisle, which had been, again, a decade or two since that had happened. And so by God's grace, the church was behind this, and they set me aside to, to reach out at Dickinson College. I labored on the campus in a very secular university. I even audited classes in history and philosophy. And the Lord gave me some amazing opportunities in the middle of class to speak about Jesus Christ. Sowing seed, seeing what the Lord would do. Had evangelistic Bible studies. Invited students to church. A small group formed. But heaven rejoices at one sinner who repents. And at the same time, realized there was a family in the church in Carlisle that was driving 30-plus minutes from Camp Hill to come to the church. Began a, a evangelistic Christianity explored Bible study in their home, reaching out to their neighbors with them. The elders then asked me to form this committee uh, to prayerfully research the churches in the area. Is there a need for a church there? Survey also within the church, church members that lived near that area that might be willing to be a part of a work. And so in the providence of God, I had the joy in those, those three years of, of helping to lay the groundwork for another church plant. Now, after those three years, I was called to go to Clarksville, Tennessee in a church planting work. But after I left, the work continued because it's Christ who builds his church. And there were several families from the church in Carlisle that were committed to this work. And the church plant there started with two elders, a deacon, and 20 people. 
and then it constituted in 2012 with 30 members, two elders and three deacons. Now again, they've had many struggles through the years. I'm going to go into all of those things, but as you know, in church life, there's many struggles. But the Lord has blessed the church, and it has grown. So today, there's three elders, four deacons, and over 150 people come into the church, and they have the problem, the good problem, that they can't fit in their building. What's the lesson? The lesson is this. Our Lord can have providentially prepared people in a multitude of ways. He does have providentially prepared people, but it's in a multitude of ways. Sometimes it's a group asking for a Reformed Baptist church to come and have a church planted. Sometimes it's several families from a church going to a new place. And even starting with officers in that sense. And let's remember this. Sometimes it's that the Lord sends a church planner to an area where he's had no prior contacts. Earlier, I met Rob Cosby's sister, who's in this conference. Rob Cosby is one of those who did that. He, he went to Tucson, Arizona, with no contacts. But you can rest assured the Lord was providentially preparing people there because the Lord has his elect. And today, there is a thriving church in Tucson. So let's remember, we need to go where people are that need to hear the gospel, whether it's in the cities or in the rural areas. There's no one method in that sense, but Christ is sovereignly working. He has his elect people, and he brings them together to form local churches in his own way. And fourthly, Christ bringing to birth Covenant Baptist Church in Clarksville, Tennessee, in 2010, Christ called me through Grace Baptist Church of Hartsville, Tennessee, to be the church planting pastor of the work in Clarksville, Tennessee, about an hour and a half apart from one another. The work in Clarksville began in 2007. There was a family in Clarksville that was put in touch with the church in Hartsville, and they started a Bible study there in 2008. And then, after there was a gathering of people, they started an evening service in an Episcopal church of all places uh, where they were meeting. And I don't know if any of you last night had your phones buzzing because of a tornado warning. Oh. It reminded me of this. As the work was beginning there in Clarksville, the, the church in Hartsville sent a letter to 40 churches in Clarksville asking, can we just have a room to meet in? And only one church responded. It was an Episcopal church, liberal no gospel. But 10 years earlier, a tornado came through and ripped off the building of their, the roof of their building. And the Roman Catholic Church down the road said, you can use our building while it's getting fixed. And they then made a vow to God, if there's any group of Christians that ever need a place to meet, we're going to let them use our place for free. God providentially preparing? You better believe it. And so they're meeting in this Episcopal church. And what they would do, these elders at the church in Hartsville, is they would have their, their services on Sunday, Sunday school, morning service, lunch, afternoon service, then drive an hour and a half and have the service there in Clarksville, and then drive an hour and a half home. 
And they were praying that the Lord would bring a church planner. And that's when the Lord called me to that work. When I arrived in 2010, there were four families and one single man. Well, I was there for seven years. And there's several lessons. Let me just give you a few. One, as Pastor Sam said, the importance of a scriptural and supportive framework. As I went, I had the support of ascending church, Grace Baptist Church in Hartsville. But not only that, I had the support of a whole association of churches, both financial and, more importantly, prayer support. Eighty-something churches praying for us. And when it came to raising financial support, it was because of the association two weeks and we were supported. Seven churches, that's all it took. We were supported, ready to go. So a scriptural and supportive framework. But another important lesson which we heard yesterday is the need for a specific and shared vision. And in one sense, this is a lesson I also had to learn the hard way. For you see, while the families that I came to, that we began with, stated that they desired to have a Reformed Baptist church, none of them had ever actually been in one. They didn't know what that looked like. And they didn't actually share the vision. Now, by the grace of the Lord, patiently teaching, instructing from God's word, and over time, it did become clear that two of those families that were with us did not share that vision. And so we parted ways peaceably. And then here's the other issue. Clarksville is where Fort Campbell, Kentucky is. And so the other two families and the single man, they were military. You know what that means? They're gone in two years. So after two years, everyone I started with was gone. But by the Lord's grace, through all of those things, the Lord and all the mentorship by, by, by the, the Spirit of God, all these things, he gave a clear and specific confessional vision of what a biblical church is. And I had the support of our Sydney church and of our association through all of those difficulties. And here's an important lesson that every minister and every Christian needs to understand. The Lord always takes his people, always especially takes his servants through times of trial and testing, through suffering that's tailor-made for you to humble you, to make us more fit instruments in his hand, and you can count on it that he will and does do it. But you can also count it all joy. Why? Because through it he blesses. Another lesson I had to learn in one sense the hard way is if at all possible, go out two by two with two elder qualified men. Now, when I first came to the church plant there in Clarksville, the church in Hartsville was praying and planning to send another man to join me. That was the plan. But in the providence of God, that never materialized. So I was a sole elder for six years. But in the providence of God, that is where the Lord blessed in other ways as I sought counsel and fellowship from other pastors, I got to know more personally, not just on a video screen, Sam Waldron. It's church two hours north of us. Ron Miller. Other brothers. 
in that way. And the Lord gave grace, counsel, help through these other servants. And it was through these fellowship of churches that Marbach was formed, a regional association. But here's another important lesson, and that is the power of prayer and the preaching of the word and the faithfulness of Christ. Though all the families we started with left, the Lord converted others through expository preaching. Lord's Day morning, Lord's Day evening, the Lord brought people and they were converted. Not only that, through evangelistic endeavors in the community. I was auditing classes at Austin P. State University to get where students were. I was going door to door in neighborhoods. We went to the projects, the place where the murders and drugs were sold. We got to do Bible studies in those places, occasionally hearing gunshots. Evangelizing and passing out tracts in the parks, going on post at Fort Campbell, having gospel literature booths set up at the city festivals. I even joined the Chamber of Commerce and went to various meetings to meet people in the community. Taking every opportunity, every legitimate means to sow the seed of the word because God is the one who can make it grow. And the Lord slowly, over time, added to, built up this forming body. One other important lesson that we learned was this, that our local church was part of a universal global church and that we needed to always have before us a kingdom mindset. And from the outset, we were praying and giving to missions. We had an annual missions conference as I already said, the difficult thing is that we had military families that would be with us for two or three years and then they would leave. And that is one of the most heart-wrenching things for a pastor. But we learned as a church, to some degree, to remember that the Lord is, his hand is even in that. That he's the one who sovereignly moves his people. Our goal must be Paul's goal which is to present Christ's people mature, that we may only have them for two or three years. Our goal is to pour into them so that they are more mature in Christ than when they first arrived. And over the years, the Lord has blessed and had the joy of seeing how these brothers and sisters have gone to other places, and the Lord has used them in these other churches. Some are elders now in other churches. Some have brought reformation in other places. Beloved, there's so many other lessons I could give, but in the kindness of God, the church was birthed in 2014, constituted with 20 members, one elder and one deacon. Last then, the last church is Christ bringing to birth Christ Reformed Baptist Church of Lookout Mountain, Tennessee. Around 2013, I was put in touch with a professor of Covenant College there on Lookout Mountain, and he was saying to me he was desirous of a Reformed Baptist church being planted there because he was in Presbyterian country. And as I traveled from Tennessee down to Georgia, where I'm from, to see my parents, I would always stop, if I could, in a Cracker Barrel and meet with this brother, and we would pray and just pray, Lord, if it's your will, 
Did you see a church planted here? We don't know how, we don't know when, but we pray. And then in 2015, a year after we constituted as a church, the Lord unexpectedly to us provided our church with a pastoral intern. You've heard his name, Nathan White. He was soon to graduate from Westminster Seminary in California and the Institute of Reformed Baptist Studies. And all the potential internships that he had and all the potential calls fell through. And we were talking um, on the phone about this. And I just asked, would you be willing to even consider coming to Clarksville? He said, yes, but how will my family eat? I said, let's pray. We prayed. I spoke to sister churches, and the Lord provided funds through these sister churches, through our congregation, for him to come and even be supported as an intern with us for a year. And so he came. I began to mentor and to train him just as I had been mentored and trained, giving him pastoral experience, giving him feedback. I prayed that the Lord would make it plain to our church if he is indeed called and gifted by Christ with the requisite gifts and graces to be a minister in Christ's church. We prayed for the Lord to guide and to direct what he might do in the future. We thought about three possibilities that the Lord had put on the horizon. One, of course, was to stay with us there in Clarksville, Tennessee as another pastor, another elder. Another possibility was a church in Indiana that was looking for a pastor and he would sometimes do pulpit supply for them. The third was this opportunity, potentially at Lookout Mountain. As we were talking, we began to realize that Nathan graduated from Covenant College. Nathan's family was an hour south in Georgia. And then in December of 2015, that college professor was driving by on Lookout Mountain, a church building, and recognized that it was empty. He inquired about it, found that it, it was a Baptist church that was built in the 1920s or so. And it had folded. And the building had been given to the large PCA church on the mountain. And as this professor inquired about it, because he attended that PCA church, the elders there said, oh, we'd like to meet with this church you're talking about in Clarksville. So Nathan White, myself, this professor, we went and met with them. And this is what they said to us. You're Reformed Baptist. We've been praying that the Lord would bring a Reformed Baptist church plant to come to this building. What? And in fact, we'll let you use the building at cost. If you can just pay for the utilities and the insurance, and if a church is planted, we'll give the building to you. And oh, by the way, here's $100. You're going to need to open a banking account locally. We were flabbergasted. It kind of became clear to us. I think the Lord is saying, <laughs> this is the, the way to go. Well, to make a long story shorter, it became clear God is moving, Christ is working, and, and the church recognized Christ had gifted Nathan and he was ordained and sent out in 2016 by our church two years after we had constituted. And in that sense, I had the joy of, of being not the planter who goes, but part of the church who sends. And he was supported by sister churches in our association as well. 
And the reality is it was a difficult road. Our hope was that this professor would become a fellow elder with him. He was seminary trained, so many things. But in the providence of God, that did not occur. In fact, they left the church plan after six months. It was a difficult first two years. But by the grace of God, Nathan White persevered. And a church was birthed by Christ. They covenanted together on June of 2019, three years after it began, with 20 members. And by the power and grace of Christ, working by his word and spirit, the church has grown, so much so that now there's over 150 attendees, and they just called their second full-time pastor. What can Christ do? Amazing things. And they even have four seminary students. I think they're at our seminary. Here's the lesson. We do have a powerful and persistent redeemer who works through weak, fallible men. This is all Christ doing. He's building his church And what I've said to you is just a teeny tiny fraction of a fraction of all that Christ is doing all around the world. As I pause and consider what what Christ has done and is doing and the privilege he's given me just to see a little glimpse, my heart overflows and is overwhelmed with joy and praise at what he has done. And he gets all the glory. For we are, I am, as we said, weak, frail, fumbling servants, servants that he delights to use because he delights to use the weak things of the world to shame the wise so that he gets all the glory. Brethren, we must remember our calling as servants of Christ. We have been given a stewardship We've been entrusted with the gospel of Christ. And more than that, we have been given so many spiritual riches. One of those verses that haunts me in a good way every day is this, that to whom much is given, much is required. And every day I fall short of that. We've been given so much. You have been given so much. And you need to feel the weight of that responsibility. And perhaps, like me, you feel overwhelmed by the weight of that responsibility. But if you do, you're in good company. For what did Paul say? 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved, among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? We are not sufficient for these things. But what's the answer he gives in the very next chapter? 2 Corinthians 3, verses 4 to 6. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God 
who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Our sufficiency is ever and only in Jesus Christ, the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth, the one who commissions his church to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing, teaching, planning churches, knowing that he is ever with us, and he is the one who is building his church. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, my desire is that you are the one who has been exalted. The work that you have done and are doing and will complete. Praise you and we thank you. We ask that you would give us even greater, stronger faith to believe that you are doing this and will do it even through us. All to the glory of your name. Amen.